Our loving Father in heaven, this morning is a solemn time. It's a time when we need to follow the scripture that says, examine yourselves, see whether you be in the faith. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be here this morning with his tender, pleading heart. helping us to make decisions that will glorify you and that will save us from the total destruction coming upon this world as a result of sin. We pray that you will fulfill your promise to save each and every one of us, for it is the will of God that none should perish, but all should come to salvation. So I ask this blessing upon this congregation and upon your word, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think it'd be a good idea to shut these over here. Would that be all right? Run the blinds down, Norman? Boy, that that thing is heavy. (laughs) Thank you, David. They're working their way down. They're they're union work. (laughs) Or maybe Caltrans. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming soon. That's our message this morning. Jesus is coming soon. Can you see this screen? You can, okay. Are you ready for Jesus to come? That's the question. Are you ready for Jesus to come? I'd like to tell this whole congregation something. You are all prayed over. Jesus prayed for you in the Garden of Gethsemane. And your pastor has prayed for you all week. And I prayed on almost every week since I've been here. For each and every one of you. I visualize you in my mind's eye and I pray that God will work in your heart. So you can have peace in your heart and overcoming power in your life. So you can have the assurance of salvation. Because the time is coming when the judgment will end, probation will end, And many people will come to Jesus when he comes and they'll say, Lord, didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I do this and that? And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. The worst words ever to fall on human ears. And the worst cry to come out of a human's mouth. Summer's here, the harvest is past, and I am not saved. We need to be very serious about our salvation. Receiving salvation from Jesus Christ, receiving redemption and grace and power in your life, to overcome sin in your life, and to be prepared for when Jesus comes, is a gift that God gives to every one of you. But many of us don't take it seriously. We don't really apply ourselves to salvation. We think that somehow, even though the pastor gets up and says, Jesus does it all, you don't realize that Jesus does all that he does. And you have a part to do too. And Jesus will not do for you what you have to do for yourself. So you, you, you can't just coast along into, into salvation. You can't coast along into heaven. And, and Jesus wants you to be saved. I want you to be saved. And, and you want to be saved. 
And Satan doesn't want you to be saved. Are you sure that Jesus came right this moment that you have salvation? Are you sure? You sure that you have confessed your sins? You're sure that you have made a clean breast of everything with God and you are ready? Are you really sure? We're not very far from midnight. It's at midnight when suddenly the sun appears in the sky and the clouds roll back out of the way. Midnight. We're not very far from the midnight of this world. Do you know that Jesus is completing his, his investigative judgment of your case in heaven? He's pleading for you before the Father. He wants you and I, as he says in the word, examine ourselves, see whether we be in the faith. And if we're not, then we need to do something about it. And I would be amiss if all I did was preach love and happiness to you Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. And if you were lost, that would be upon me. You do know that when the judgment is finished, Jesus makes a solemn, universal proclamation. Doesn't cover just this world. It covers all heaven, covers all the creation of Jesus. Jesus, as our judge, issues the eternal sentence of the heavenly court. Jesus, as your lawyer, has presented you before the heavenly court in the best light he could. Jesus is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And how long has Jesus been the light that lighteth every man that comes into the world? It started back at the creation of the world when God said, let there be light. And Jesus is the light. So from the very creation, Jesus has been the light of every single one of us. And he pleads our case before the Father. His Ten Commandment law is the standard of the universe, the law for all creation. And he pleads our case. Jesus, as your true and faithful witness, has represented you before the heavenly court in the best light he can. You do understand what faithful and true witness means, don't you? Jesus is called the faithful and true witness. The book of Revelation, which is Jesus' very own words to you and I in the last days, telling us how to get ready and what to get ready for, he is called the faithful and true witness. And I mean, after all, you did say you were ready for Jesus to come, and to come quickly, right? Now, I saw you did. Big happy faces until I said, oh, wait a second. So, if you're ready, then you already know what it means, faithful and true witness. But for those that don't know, just raise your hand. You don't know what faithful and true witness means. Okay. So since there's just one, there's two hands back there, I'm going to talk to you. Now the rest of them can listen, but they already know. Okay. Now here comes the test. Where is it found in the Bible? Where it explains what faithful and true witness means. Because there's only two people back there who said, I don't know. So the rest of you know. Now the rest of you tell me. Because the truth of the matter is, you probably don't know either. You just didn't want to raise your hand. Proverbs 14.5. What does Proverbs 14.5 say? Proverbs 14.5 says, A faithful witness never lies. Jesus has always told the truth. 
And when he stands before the Father in heaven, is he going to lie about you? Is he going to say, you're overcoming sin in his power? Or is he saying, no, no, you've got reservations, you're holding back on this part, and you're holding back on that part, and, and as long as people don't see you, you're doing this or you're doing that. But in your heart of hearts, you know you have a faithful witness. Every one of us has an angel that is called the recording angel. And what is that angel doing? He writes down every single thing that you do in every single moment of your life. And that enters into the records of heaven. And Jesus presents that before the Father and He presents our case before the Father. And He never lies. Now you and I can lie. I had a situation in a church once where, where the, the, the father and the mother came together and, and they had been into drugs and alcohol and, and all kinds of things. And, and they had received the Lord Jesus Christ into their life and they'd given up drugs and they'd given up alcohol and they'd given up smoking. And, and one Sabbath, I, I, I like to greet people in the parking lot whenever I can. And so I was in the parking lot greeting people coming to church. And, and the, the husband got out of the vehicle and he kind of walked off that way. And she got off the vehicle and she walked that way. And I thought, uh-oh. So I went over to the wife. And I said, what's wrong? Oh, it was bad. It was bad. It was very bad. And so she and I prayed and I talked with her. Then I went over and talked to the husband. And I said, you love Jesus? He says, yes. You represent Jesus? Yes. What would Jesus do if he was here right now? Not what I'm doing. He wanted to get a divorce. You know what the situation was? Together they had given up all these different things in their lives. And on the side, unbeknownst to him, she was still smoking. It had just such a stronghold in her life that she was having a terrible struggle with it. But she wanted to overcome, but she didn't understand how the willpower works together to help her to do that, along with the power of Christ in her. And he had discovered that. And he thought that she had a very unfaithful wife that loves somebody else more than she loved him or God. And it took a couple of months. But she worked on that and worked on that. And from Sabbath to Sabbath, I would stand in the pulpit and this would embarrass all of you. But I might say something like, how's it coming? And she'd say, just one this week. God loves a sinner that is fighting the battle with self against Satan. He loves that sinner. Loves him and gives all the power he can to that person. And she worked week after week after week till finally she could say, I didn't touch a one. And then she'd say, I haven't had a cigarette for three weeks. And I haven't done this. And, 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 and that family just came together and became leaders in the church. God always picks people like the Apostle Paul to be a leader. Like David to be a king. Because they repent. And God loves a repentant sinner. So a faithful witness never lies. Now what does a true witness do? Well, you already know. You said you already knew, right? It's found in Proverbs 14, 25. It's easy. Just mark 5 and 25. A true witness delivers souls. The glory of God is the saving of souls. And the glory of Jesus is the delivering of souls. 
And Jesus is the true, a faithful and true witness. Aren't you happy to hear that? I'm happy to hear it. Because God has given us Jesus as our Savior, and He's not going to lie to us about our condition in sin. He doesn't want us to be overcome by sin. He's going to tell us the truth about our condition. And then, He what? Delivers souls so all of His strength and all of His grace and power is going into us to give us a victory over sin in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, as your true and faithful witness, has represented you before the heavenly court in the best light that only he can. Presented you before the Father. Jesus has used all the decisions you have made, all your proofs of repentance before the heavenly court that you have given him. Now, what if you haven't given him very much? What is he using before the court? What is he using? What if you think you're holding back something and not giving everything to all the Jesus I surrender? he's, He's given all the proofs to God before the heavenly court. He says, these are the decisions he's made, or she's made. And God looks at it and says, well, that's about it. Well, Jesus is looking over your shoulder. And the Holy Spirit stays with you. In Hebrews 13, 5, he says, I will never leave. Let me read that to you. You've got to hear this. You just, you just don't get it when you... Don't read it from the original language. You've got to hear this. Thirteen five. He, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you. Y'all don't care, huh? I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you, most assuredly not. Thank you, Jesus. He is going to make sure you get to the kingdom of heaven if you truly want to be there. You do know that when Jesus comes, the robe of righteousness must be spotless. You can't wait till Jesus comes and then get it spotless at that moment. You remember he gave several stories through the Bible about that. One of them was about the, the king that gave everybody a spotless robe to come to this special banquet. He gave it to him well in advance. And one man came to the banquet and he didn't have the robe on. And what happened? He told the servants to bind him up and throw him out in the street. You can't wait till the close of probation to get serious about your own personal salvation and to be ready for Jesus to come. Jesus has not come yet Because he's waiting for you and I to get ready. He doesn't want to come until we're ready. But as soon as God's church is ready, then he's going to come. He wants to come. All heaven is astir waiting to come. One place in the scripture says, All heaven is standing upon tiptoe waiting to see the wonderful sight of the sons and daughters of God coming into their own. You do know that when Jesus comes, it's too late to wash your robe in the blood of forgiveness. The Ark of the Covenant with the two seraphim. The top of it is the mercy seat. 
Inside is the Ten Commandments that were broken by mankind. Jesus stands before the Father and pleads for every one of us over that mercy seat. But one day, he's going to throw down his golden censer, which represents his righteousness and his prayers for every one of us personally. He's going to throw that down and make a proclamation. You do know that when Jesus comes, he brings his reward with him. Okay? He's going to bring a reward with him. Heaven or hell? Oh, yes. What is the eternal sentence that Jesus proclaims? As a warning to be ready, he told us over 2,000 years ago. It is recorded in the book of Revelation in his holy Bible. It's in Revelation 22:11, the eternal final sentence of justice for the entire universe. Now, he proclaims this before anybody on earth knows it. He doesn't say, hey, you guys, and get ready to pass sentence. He's already examined all of our lives. And he's already put down in the book what our verdict is. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. This is the eternal proclamation that Jesus makes. How do you fit into that right now? I'll warn you about something. The mind is deceitful and wicked above all things. And who can know it, God says. The farmer can't wait until the harvest to see what he gets before he plants the seed. Now, I know there's har far farmers in here. You can't do that. In faith, you go out, you plant the seed, you water it, you fertilize it, you do everything you can and hope for the crop. Salvation is about the same way. What you sow is what you get. Are you sowing faithfulness to God? Are you sowing truthfulness to God when you say, I'm your child and I'm doing everything that you tell me to do? What? What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. You and I make decisions about our lives like we own our lives. Like it's something we don't owe anybody else. I can do anything I want. The greatest decision you can ever make towards your own salvation is to give up your ability to make the decision. Just give it to Jesus. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They are not yours. If you were left to yourself, every decision would be wrong. I'll show you why. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Why do you think the story of Ananias and Sapphira is recorded for us in the Bible? Why do you think that's true? Well, let me read to you that story. It doesn't take long. It only takes a few moments. A man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, agreed to sell a piece of property and to give the entire amount to the Lord's cause. When the Lord blessed it and the property sold for more than expected, Ananias, with full consent of his wife, kept back an unexpected extra and turned in only what the property was thought to be worth. As he laid the offering at Peter's feet, Peter said, Ananias, why did you choose to side with Satan and fill your heart with greed? You lied to the Holy Spirit and chose to keep some of the money you received for the land. Wasn't the land yours before you sold it? You didn't have to promise to give all the money from the sale. Were you not free to promise only a portion? Why would you promise it all and then hold a portion back? You haven't lied to your infinite, to a finite humans. You have lied to God. 
When Ananias was confronted with the truth, it shocked him, and he fell down and died. And all who heard what happened were overcome with fear. The young men came right in, wrapped up the body, carried it out and buried it, and three hours later, Sapphira, Ananias' wife, came in. But she didn't know what had happened to her husband. Peter asked her, Is this the entire price that you and Ananias received from the sale of the land? Oh yes, that's the full price, she answered. And Peter confronted her with the truth. What were you and your husband thinking? Lying to God. A few hours ago, your husband, when confronted with the truth of what you have done, died. And the men who buried him are coming through the door, and they will carry you out also and bury you. And when she heard this, it shocked her, and she fell down and died. And then the young men came in, and finding she was dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And the entire congregation and all who heard about it were gripped with fear as we ought to be. Although some of us think that we already have eternal life and God couldn't do that to us. You can't lie to God. He knows everything about all of us. And He loves you. He loves me. He wants us to be saved in the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't want any of us to be lost. He knows how crafty Satan is and how he can trick all of us. And some of us are tricked. And some of us are thinking we can fool God. He knows about our whole life every 24-7. Don't think you can fool Him. If you're serious about salvation, then be serious. It's your life. It's your life. It don't matter what other people think. Absolutely not. Only eight people got in the ark with Noah. Eight people in that boat, including Noah. Eight people. And all the rest of them, they told you what they thought. Noah's a fruitcake. Don't believe Noah. You ever seen it rain before? I don't know. What is rain? You ever seen probation in before? I haven't either. Now all these things happen to them for examples and are written for our admonition upon to whom the ends of the world are come. That's why God recorded stories like Ananias and Sapphira. That's to help us, not to condemn us or, or make it hard on us, but to help us. Jesus has used all the decisions and proofs of repentance that you have given him before the heavenly court in the best light he can. If he was to come right now, this very moment, you know in your heart of hearts whether you would be saved or not. You know what in your, in your own personal life what you're holding back and what you're not. Have you really made a clean breast with God of everything? Are you really depending upon God to save you? It's your decision that sways the court in heaven. It is not the decision of Jesus. It's the decision is yours and yours alone. Are you serious about your own salvation? Jesus is serious about saving us. Who is your attorney to represent you? If it is Jesus, then you must follow all his directions to win a favorable verdict. To do otherwise is eternal death. You and I either follow Jesus, and he is going to tell us exactly what to do to be saved. We either do that, or we're lost. There's no, there's no little fence, and I get up on the fence, and I sit there on the fence and say, well, i got to make up my mind how much I want to give Jesus. You can't do that. There is no fence. You're lost. And the only way to be saved is to go with Jesus and do everything he asks. And if you are your own attorney, if you are your own attorney are in good uh, with the judge of all, then what? Can, can, can you be in good with the judge of all when you're going against what God says? No. Your case is hopeless. 
All, and I mean all your evidence is tainted because all your righteousness is filthy rags. It's worthless. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Do you know why he says it in his heart that there is no God? Because he's trying to convince himself that somehow he can be saved. And he's, got, he's talking to himself. There is no God. There is no God. There is no God. Well, if there is no God, why are you talking about it? If there is no God, then get the next step. What is it? There's no Savior. And if there is a God, then he knows everything you're doing. He knows everything I'm doing. He knows every sin we've committed. And he loves us. And he wants to save us. And he's trying to get our attention so we can be saved. I have good news for you. There is a God. And I have further good news. He is not you. Some of, some, of, some of us are trying to make eternal godly decisions on our own. Like baptism. And we're saying, oh, oh Lord, uh, I, I know you were baptized and you're my example. And, and I should be baptized. But Lord, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, I, I just don't believe this part over here. I don't know. You want to go to hell just because you don't believe this part over here? Or you want to be baptized and be on God's side for certain and follow God? Which way do you want to do it? There is a Savior. How's that song go? There is a Savior. What joys express. His love is perfect. His love is best for each tomorrow, for yesterday. There is a Savior who lights your way. Now the good news. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the ends are ever the ways of death. Aren't you glad that God wrote that? So that you could say, hey, as a sinner, I don't know the right way to get to God, or otherwise I wouldn't need a Savior. So I'm heading towards death, because when I think is right is the path of death. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. Now the fool said there is no God, and he really believes it. Jesus is who you want for your Savior. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we can't be saved by our own names. We can't be our own attorney. We're going to be lost. There's just one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. And if we want to be saved, we need to follow Him 100% and do what He's telling us to do. Jesus is coming soon. Is he coming for you? What's holding you back from making a full and complete surrender to him? Somebody hurt your feelings? I get that all the time. Oh, pastor, I'm not coming to church right now. Somebody hurt my feelings. Can you imagine? Can you imagine coming up to the pearly gates and Jesus is there to throw them open. You say to Jesus, I would like to come in, but somebody hurt my feelings. I'd like to have eternal life, but somebody hurt my feelings. And I'm going to let them keep me out of having eternal life. How many of you want that? No, I don't either. But we see it all the time. What is holding you back from making a full and complete surrender to Jesus? What's holding you back? The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him? 
Time after time he has waited before, and now he is waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. If you'll take one step toward the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. Receive him and all of your darkness will end. Within your heart he'll abide. Time after time he has waited before, and now he is waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. Jesus wants to come in. The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide and His grace so free is sufficient for me and deep is its fountain as wide as the sea. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have found him a friend. Do you think so? And millions have turned from their sins that they sinned. The Savior still waits to open the gates and welcome a sinner before it's too late. That's what we're talking about today. Waits patiently. Waiting for you and I to make a decision to go all the way with him. To give up anything that's between us and him. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Lots of room at the cross. Not very many people want to go to heaven by the way of the cross. Isn't that right? used to be in our old hymn that we had a book. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. The hand of the Savior is strong and the love of my Savior is long. Through sunshine or rain, through loss or in gain, the blood froze from Calvary to cleanse every stain. There's room at the cross for you. There is room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. I'm going to tell a story about that picture in a moment. Jesus is waiting. Time after time he has waited before. And now he is waiting again. To see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. It's one of my favorite songs. Anybody here want to live forever? Say, I do. I do. Anybody here want to walk on golden street? Say, I do. Anybody here that's sick and tired of living like you do? Anybody here want a home with love forever? Say, I do. I do. Jesus is pleading our case before the Heavenly Father, and he will continue pleading it, and he will continue until he comes in the clouds of glory. He will throw down the golden censer, Give that terrible sentence, let him that is filthy be filthy still. But he wants every one of us to be in the resurrection. Doesn't want anybody to be left out. He wants to come and save us all. 
It's going to be a terrible time to go through, but it's going to be a glorious time to see Jesus come in the clouds of glory. And the great controversy between Christ and Satan will be finally ended. What side are you going to be on? On the side of Christ or on the side of Satan? We're already on the side of Satan if we do not accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And if we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we need to be baptized. We need to follow all the instructions because God gives the command. When he said, men and brethren, what should we do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized. Then Jesus gave the great commission. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel everywhere. Baptizing them. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. I read that to you a moment ago. Jesus pled for you and I in the, there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the time is coming when Jesus will come in the clouds of glory. Now I told you I was going to tell you about this picture. Well, I guess I'll hang on to it. I have a niece. who in her day, they said was retarded. Today they're more delicate. They say that they're challenged. Challenged. I think that if everything wasn't connecting in my brain, I'd be challenged too. And it's got nothing to do with their fault or the fault of the parents or anybody. It's just things that happen in the world of sin. And she and my sister went to the first Special Olympics in Southern California in 1969. Now the first one was in Chicago area in 1968. In 1969 she went. And my sister came back and gave me a report of what happened there. And when she gave me the report, I saw something that many others didn't see, I'm sure. When they first got into the stadium, the dignitaries stood up and welcomed all these boys and girls, all these children, over 1,000 of them, and their parents and their guardians and whoever else was with them there. And they're all up in the bleachers there. And said, welcome to our beautiful city, welcome to our lovely stadium and all this. And the, all these boys and girls just sat there still. Not a word. And when he got done, another dignitary got up and he said a bunch of flowery things like that. And he sat down. And it went through three of them. And the fourth one that stood up was a Catholic bishop. And he stood up and he looked out there at that sea of young people. And he said, I love you! And the whole stadium erupted. When all those boys and girls heard that word they'd heard so often from their parents and their guardians, I love you! And that was the beginning of the games. And I thought that's exactly what Jesus does. When we come to Christ, we got all this muddled life and everything, we're trying to see Jesus and then all of a sudden, there he is, and he says, I love you. Just so happy to see us. Well, he went through different events, and I want to tell you just about one event. It was a 100-yard uh, race. Now, they don't really race 100 yards. It's, um, it, it comes out to 75 feet was the first ones they did. Now they do more of the Olympic one. But, so they all lined up the ones that were in this particular race, and they all lined up there, and they were ready to go. And the toot blew, and the kids started running. Man, they were running and running. They were running this way, and they were running that way, and they were running, and they knew where the finish line was, and they were heading for the finish line. But there was one, one child. One child had, had, had heard the toot and was ready to go, and that child took off, and boy, he was doing the best he could, and he was really going at it. But he was going the wrong direction. And pretty soon, all the other boys and girls went over the finish line. 
And there was a big shout and everything, and they were, uh, and, and the boy that had run the wrong way, or maybe it was a girl, I think it was, no, it was a girl. I'm sorry, it was a girl. And, and she ran the, the wrong way to start with in all the confusion, and she just stopped. And she looked way down there as they passed through the finish line, broke the ribbon. And she stood there for a long time. And everybody was focused on what was going on down there at the finish line. And then suddenly someone noticed her standing there, all by herself. And then the crowd started to notice. And they told her, run! Run! And she just stood there. They went and got another ribbon tape. And, and, and they pulled it all the way across the finish line. And they said, run! Run! And she just stood there. And up in the bleachers was a godly woman. She came down through the bangity, 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 bang, jumping on those seats they had there. And she got down to the end, and it's like a six-foot drop into the tra- racetrack off of that stadium. And she got down there, and she went right up to the edge, and she got ready to jump in. Then she stopped for a second, and look how far it was down. She turned around and just lowered herself in. Then she ran out, and she ran over to that girl. And she stopped at that girl, and she put her arm around her. And she started talking to her. Now, all this time, the girl has just been really despondent, standing there, head down, and, and she's just talking to her. I know what she was saying, but you don't need to know right now. And, and she turned the girl around, and she pointed down that way. And then she turned to the girl, and she said, you can do it. Run. And the girl got a big smile on her face. And she... And that's about as far as she went. And that lady came up and put her arm around her again and said, you can do it. You can do it. But they're all finished. You can run the race. You can win the medal. And she just stood there. And that lady came up the third time, put her arm around her. You can win the race. You can finish the race. You can go over the finish line. You can win. You can have a medal. And I'm going to run with you. Put her arm around her. And they ran that whole distance together. And just before they got to the finish line, she let go of the girl. And the girl kept running. And she ran. And the thing broke as she ran through. And the whole stadium erupted in a tremendous roar. Yay! Oh, clapping and carrying on. The boys and girls, a thousand of them, came running from all over the place, running to her. And they all got excited, put their arms around her and held on to her and told her how wonderful it was. She had made it across the finish line. And one of the judges came over and put a gold medal on her. We're in a race. Paul said we're in a race. And we're going to the heavenly kingdom. And you know, when you're in a race, you follow the regimen that the coach lays out for you. You don't eat what you want to eat. You don't drink what you want to drink. You heaven's bet you never smoke, especially if you're running a race. And you don't drink any liquor. And, and all these things you've got to lay aside. You've got to go to bed early. You've got to get up. You've got to do all these different things that the, ju- the coach is telling you to get you ready for the day. Then you're going to make that final sp- sprint across the final and reach over that line and break through. And you just think all heaven is standing on tippy-toe, waiting to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. And their God is waiting and watching. And we start running the race. And maybe some of you have started running the race like I have 60 years ago. 
And maybe some of you are just now making a decision. I'm going to get in the race. I'm going to quit fooling around with my life. And I'm going to be serious about my own salvation. And I'm going to follow what God tells me to follow. And I'm going to eat the way God tells me to eat. I'm going to drink what God tells me. I'm going to not smoke. I'm going to take my body and say it's the temple of the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to go all the way with God. And we start on that track. And it seems like somebody suddenly takes the whole stadium and goes like this. And instead of running on a flat, we're running uphill. Oh, oh, can I make it? And out of the bleachers comes Jesus. And he comes down, he puts his arm around you, and he says, let me carry your load. You and I are going to cross the finish line. We're going to do it. We're going to make it. But we're going to make it only if we follow Jesus. He's coming in the clouds of glory. You notice in his hand he has a sickle. He's going to cut out the bad stuff, and reap the good stuff. So what is it going to be? It's your choice. Heaven? Hell. Take your pick. It's up to you. When God arrested my attention as a very young boy, my father had died. And a few years later, as a teenager, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I was baptized into the remnant church of God. And my family disowned me because we were all Catholics. And I was suddenly alone in the world. Really alone. And I thought all I had to look forward to was hell. Jesus is coming again. And I try daily to surrender everything to him. I don't want anything in my life to hold any of you back. I don't want anything I say, and and I do a lot of flub-ups, But I don't want anything I say to keep you from the kingdom of heaven. But I appeal to you right now. That you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ. You you need to determine you're going to follow God all the way to the kingdom of heaven. And you're going to follow Jesus the way he goes. And not the way you think you want to go or the way you think he goes. What you think about the Bible doesn't matter. I want you to understand that, okay? What you think about the Bible doesn't matter. The Bible explains itself. If you can't understand it because you don't have enough ability to understand it, find somebody that understands it and can explain it to you. But don't miss heaven because you don't have a good understanding of God's word and you think it says something that it doesn't. And so you're going to give up your opportunity for all eternity. There's some of you here in this building right now that need to be baptized. There's some in this building that need to be rebaptized. Because you've been baptized, but you've been living like the devil. You know, the Bible says, You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You know what that means? It doesn't have anything to do with swearing. It means that I claim Jesus as my Savior. I say I'm a Christian, and then I live like the devil. That's what it's talking, that's taking the name of God in vain. And God hates that because that's what Satan did in the beginning. Misrepresented God. You take the name of Christian, you take the name of Seventh-day Adventist, you take the name of, of, of Christ as your Savior, You better sure as anything better be doing what the Bible says. There's some here today that have been baptized. Some that that were baptized and, and really didn't understand 
what it was all about, what repentance is all about. Oh, you saw all the, all the animals in the book of Revelation and you heard all the different Bible texts that prove all the different things about the Bible. But you never really gave your heart to Jesus. And you have never really had overcoming power in your life. Now is the time to make a decision for Jesus. Or maybe you started out on the walk with Christ and somewhere along the way you just took a detour. You need to be rebaptized. My brethren, if you've lost your Christ likeness, you may never, never come into communion again with God until you're reconverted and rebaptized. Spirit of prophecy tells us that. Jesus is waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide. And its grace so free is sufficient for me. Deep is its fountain as wide as the sea. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. I'm actually making an altar call. And if you believe that you need to follow Jesus in a different manner than you've followed him in the past, then you need to come to the front. And those of you that are, are strong in the faith, as Paul says, you need to be praying for those that come to the front. Now, I'll tell you what. I was in a big stadium. There were 35,000 people in that stadium. God bless you, sister. 35,000 men in that stadium. And the pastor made an altar call. And nobody moved. And he made the altar call again, and nobody moved. And the man sitting next to me leaned over. And you know what he said? He said, I want to go down, but I'm afraid to go down by myself. Will you go with me? And so we walked down together so that he didn't feel like he had to be there alone. And that's what you people should be doing right now. Turn to the person next to you and say, if you want to go down there, need someone to go with you, I'll go with you. Don't think this, it's a shame to show what, that you love Jesus. Don't think that it is. God has complete over, overwhelming power. You and I do not understand the power of Christ to eradicate out of our lives sin. And we need to be sin free when Jesus comes. In Jesus. And yet he says, as you grow up, you're perfect at every stage. You keep trusting in Jesus. And if Jesus comes and you're only 30 years old and you're still doing something that, that you've told him many, many times, please save me from this, and you just haven't overcome it, the blood of Jesus is going to cover you and bring you in. You remember the thief on the cross? How many things did he repent of? How many things did he change his life for? One thing. One. And what was that? That Jesus was the Savior. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. Remember me. Do you want to be remembered by Jesus? Jesus will overcome every single sin in your life in conjunction with you. He will be the one carrying your load so that you will be freer to do his will. Just before Jesus comes, we are told that there will be a great reformation and revival in God's people. We need to start the revival now. We need to start it now. We need to come to Jesus now.
You know that song? You know that song? Can you sing that song? The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. Why don't you let him come in? Time after time he has waited before. And now he is waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. Harold, I need help. Harold Reeves isn't here today. But I'd, I'd like all of you to, to come into the prayer room on that side over there. Just, just right now, go over into the prayer room, and I'm going to dismiss the rest of the saints. Is there any other? If there's any other, just go into the prayer room. Jesus will overcome every sin in your life that you surrender to him to overcome. There isn't any sin in your life that Jesus will not forgive and overcome in your life. Not a single sin doesn't make any difference. Your past is not you. You are not defined by your past. You're not defined by anything from the last moment all the way to the beginning of your life. You are defined by your decisions now for Jesus Christ. And for a revival in your heart and a revival in this church to come about in your life and in the life of this church. This church should be full. Over.